Welcome to the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss the NFHS 2023 Rules Changes Survey and um, start with the first section from the survey, if anybody has seen it already, is uh, about the satisfaction with the 2022-23 rules. I'm going to abbreviate these yes-no answers. So, uh, Number one is removing the number of color restrictions on a glove. Yeah, I think this was a good call and a good change, partially because there's a lot of kind of arbitrary rules like that. Like why are people really that distracted if there's a red, white, and blue glove on the field versus a only black and tan glove? I don't think that's that's getting anyone. Honestly, even some of the restrictions around optic yellow is, I think, a little bit much because as some people have pointed out, Baseball players wear white uniforms against a white ball all the time, and there's no concern. So anything to, to make some of the, the more out there descriptions like this glove are good by me. Yeah. I like the color restriction of optic yellow for pitchers and just really about pitchers only because everybody else, it really doesn't matter. You're, they're going to throw the ball not from their glove. So, you know, I, I'm okay with it. Uh, number two is clarifying the ball status, fair foul is determined at the point of interference. I always thought this one was a, a kind of a no-brainer anyway. Yeah, I've seen that one discussed, and I think it was literally to clarify. I've heard it describe what we were all calling anyway, but yeah, it's a good good, good call-out. Number three, removing language prohibited the wearing, prohibiting the wearing of jewelry. I think we all think this one was a good one. In uh, some of the summer ball stuff, it's been gone for a while. Yeah, I think this makes perfect sense. The jewelry was maybe an overreaching safety concern. I, I think these girls, they play that way in college. They play that way in the summer. They play that way in other sports. I didn't think it was a big deal, and I'm glad we don't have to be the jewelry police. Yeah, for sure. Number four, allowing all runs to score on a walk-off home run. Yeah, so this one obviously was more about tie-breaking and seeding and things like that for playoff games or whatever else, it obviously has no outcome to the direct win-loss record. So I'm good with this, and I, it's what I would have expected anyway. I, I didn't get that deep in the minutiae, and I've never had a case where this mattered that it was in my concern uh, you know, as officiant of the game, but it makes perfect sense to me. So what about the, uh, what about the ground rule double with runners you know, at, uh, at second, third? You know, they're, they're only, you know, tie ball game, runners at second, third, there's a ground rule double. That's going to score two runs. Do they both score? You know, it doesn't say, but uh, I would think it does. And if I was making my case as a coach that that one run made the difference in seeding me, I would make a difference that this rule set the precedent for the ground rule double to do just that. Yeah, I agree, Pete. And lastly, number five, clarifying when a batter runner is out if there is interference on an initial play. So I didn't see this one uh, specifically in the in the rule changes. So, you know, we, we could stop, I guess, and look it up, but I, I really don't need to. I think we're going to do a podcast episode on interference and obstruction, right? and we'll probably cover it then. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's a clarification, so no new rule there. And they're pointing out when the batter runner is out, if there's interference on an initial play, which is exactly what the rule is, you know, when someone interferes with an initial play. And with, for the batter runner, then that almost certainly is going to involve either the catcher making a play on a bunt, maybe a first baseman, you know, on the same, or maybe the pitcher again on the bunt, but that would be heck of fast for the pitcher to be involved. So we're, I think we're talking about a very limited area and a point of clarification. Yeah, it'll come up, I think, as we discuss interference. Okay, perfect. So the second section of the survey asks, have you seen any of these things this year? 
and they're asking you to answer these and never, rarely, frequently, or almost always. And Pete, this section uh, from the from the uh, from the survey, you believe has has a direct impact on what what is it? Was it case plays that'll be coming out maybe next year? Yeah, I, I see this section to be some case plays, maybe some clarification, or ultimately some points of emphasis that may come up. Okay. So number one was infielders wearing head face protection. Do you never, rarely, frequently, or almost always see that? Yeah, for me, that's basically frequently always see someone in the infield wearing face protection. When we coached, obviously we preferred, especially as the girls were sub 18, uh, to see the corners wear it and the pitchers wear it were most important to us. But that's generally what I see a lot when it's when I'm out there officiating. I, I see I see the pitchers a lot. Um, some of the corners, but now we're starting to see at the varsity level and in the summer, people don't wear them. What's funny is right as I'm starting to see it a little more often in NCAA than I did five years ago. Sure. So I don't know which way that's leaning. Yeah, well, the bats are hotter, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that could be part of it. Yeah, you're right, Pete. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, when, when we were coaching summer ball, uh, mostly USA softball. We did some U-trip as well, but mostly USA softball. You didn't pitch, play first or third for any of my teams if you weren't if you wouldn't wear a mask um questions about drying agents transferring to the ball yeah so i definitely see this one becoming a case play or something else i don't think there's new rules necessarily i think this is clarifications and stuff so there's so many questions about you know what if i use rosin certainly there's a lot of clarifications and questions about rock rosin versus powdered rosin um there's questions about the different things, especially MLB has this problem where, you know, obviously they're checking pitchers' hands and stuff now. So I feel like getting, you know, spider tack or anything like that that gives pitchers, especially pitchers, specifically is what we're talking about, at least I am, some kind of additional benefit is what we're going to look at and, and clarifying what is it about those things that makes them illegal. Their transfer to the ball is generally the uh, the criteria that's used. So I think that's what we're looking for. Yeah, me too. Because I had one uh, a couple of years ago where uh, I, it was a learning moment for me. Uh, I had something in my mind that said if you went to the dirt, you had to wipe your hand off before you got to the ball. Or if you went to your rosin bag, you had to wipe your hand off before you went to the ball. And I got uh, I got schooled on that yeah. one. That was a USA rule that uh, that I didn't know at the time. So, And if anybody's curious, so I guess we can't just leave that hanging there. Uh, you certainly don't have to wipe those off. The dirt is not a foreign substance uh, is, is one of the clarifications there. And then the rosin, uh, as long as it doesn't transfer to the ball, so regular rosin or powdered rosin does not, rock rosin does, that's the, that's the difference. Now, number three, players using smartwatches for communication outside the dugout. Yeah, so this one is currently illegal. I don't know if they're looking, maybe this is something where they're looking to find out if people are seeing it and then therefore having to call it, or if they're just trying to see if this is a, an area they need to penetrate for some of these rules to clarify or to allow, you know, because if everyone's doing it or attempting to do it, maybe they're looking to consider a need. I'm not sure, but on this one, never. I, it's, that I could see, I never saw anyone look to a watch. I barely saw anyone wear any kind of anything out there, let alone look at it for a play or for a communication. You know, some pyres, now that we have to, uh, we've got some timing things that we have to do, you know, NCAA uh, 90 seconds between innings, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, we're not allowed to wear smartwatches and, and when we're umpiring. Yeah. Well, even NFHS, where point of emphasis was that 60 seconds uh, between innings, they don't want us to time it. It was specifically mentioned, do not look at a watch in order to time it. So even there, where it's a point of emphasis or whatever else, 
the 60 seconds seems a little loose uh, since my 60 seconds counting could be different than yours. Because, I mean, we're only Mississippi counting or 1,000 counting or, you know, what feels like it's been enough time. I don't know. If I can't look at a watch or look at a clock or look at anything else, it's it's a person's temporal judgment. Yeah. So number four, umpires unsure of malicious contact versus interference. Yeah. Um, I think that one is definitely them looking for some case plays and stuff like that. Because that is a very, a very tough one. When a lot of times in the groups and whatever else, when you see someone collide with someone... You know, malicious seems to indicate, by definition, some sort of a t- intent to some degree. And so now the question is, did she hit her with some kind of intent to hurt her or to do harm or to be unfair or dirty or whatever else versus the girl went hard into the base, you know, the catcher wandered into her way chasing a throw and she got leveled, right? That's not malicious typically. But she's coming home. She drops her shoulder and hits her like she's trying to get the extra yard to the goal line. Malicious. So some click, some case plays around that definitely would help, especially young umpires who haven't seen enough plays maybe to judge one way or the other. I know it's a point of argument almost every time that kind of thing comes up in the groups. You see people on one side or the other. That's malicious. No, that's not malicious. You don't know. Read a rule book. Blah, blah, blah. So some case plays would be helpful. Honestly, yeah. some case plays and some YouTube videos or, or some links like that would be excellent resources. Yeah, when we're teaching young umpires, certainly having those YouTube videos of, of you know, somebody running through um, home plate. I'm remembering one that I share frequently with my catchers, and the catcher's really upset that, you know, this run is getting ready to score. And she's standing in front of the, the, the plate, but then she sees the runner coming through, so she reaches back and thumps her pretty good with an elbow. Yeah, that one, yeah, she hits her. Right. <laughs> And then she did, she did it again, and I, that was a funny YouTube video, too, because somebody slowed it down so you could really see it, but the, the sound slowed down, too, and so you can hear the dad screaming, She did it again! <laughs> yeah, so funny. Uh, okay, the last one in the second section of Have You Seen Any of These Things This Year? Players wearing a wristband with playbook or play card attached to their belt instead of their arm or wrist. Yeah, I don't want to give away the future of the episode any, but... This does appear again later, so this definitely leads me to believe that this is something they're looking to clarify or codify very intentionally in the rule or a rule change. Yeah, uh, I the- do see I do see this from time to time. I see people with it down there. The rule seems to indicate that things are to be worn. So for pitchers, the play card should be worn. It specifically says on the non-throwing arm, and down in uh, further, it says that equipment like this should be worn as intended by the manufacturer and as these are wrist guards or wrist uh, play cards then that should be on the wrist um some of the questioning starts to come around a some common use seems to be people wanting to wear them down there and because of that some manufacturers are listing these things as they can be worn on the belt or putting a little apparatus inside so that they can be attached to the belt more securely or more quote unquote officially so now that would say the manufacturer intends it to be on the belt. So I think they're looking to get ahead of this maybe a little if we're to read intent into some quiz questions. Yeah, we see it a lot. And uh, USA Ball, the kids are all wearing them on all. Most of the kids are wearing them on their belts because they're more comfortable. And it's summertime. They don't want the uh, the lovely suntan line you know, from their wristband signal system. Right. But uh, since the NFHS rulebook, uh, 3.710, is it, I think? Um, specifically says you have to wear it on your wrist. Uh, like they're doing that. So, all right. So the third section here uh, on topics for 2023-2024. Would you favor permitting bat sensors? 
So as a, as a hitting coach myself, I'll go first on this one. The answer for me is absolutely yes. Those uh, bat sensors don't come flying off. You know, you can get thousands of swings uh, in the, on a tee or in a, in a cage uh, with absolutely no issues. So there's no safety issue. And uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with be, people being able to utilize technology to help improve their game. It does nothing for them at that game. It just helps them to understand how they're swinging. Yeah, I don't think there's any advantage being given here. If you think about, you know, you mentioned advantage during the game. Um, if someone took some swings and then they went back and they were, they were able to see that they were swinging at a, a certain launch angle swing, uh, you know, and they need to get it down or up, I don't think that's too much different than someone have recording the at-bat and in between at-bats or in between innings that they're able to see some of that information. There's no additional benefit to be gained. And the safety thing... I think people go to safety a lot, almost the same way that people in my industry a lot of times will point to compliance or legal or HIPAA or something else like that. When they don't have a good argument, they'll go to that and say, because it's a catch-all. You know, so in this case, I feel like the safety, as you mentioned, these sensors are created to be used on bats during swings. And in the cage, if they're sitting there swinging a hundred times a day and the sensor doesn't come flying off, what do we think in a game it's going to all of a sudden come flying off or become detached or when they throw it on the ground, it's going to pop off and the catcher's going to step on it and roll an angle. I don't know what yeah. people think. If I swing and the, the sensor is going to come flying 100 miles an hour at the third baseman or the pitcher, what what do we think is going to happen with this sensor? Right. I'm, I'm in favor of this. I see no reason not to have it. Anything that can possibly improve the players, improve the quality of the game, I think this is fine. Number two, permitting leaping. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this one. This one is rough because it's allowed other places. Uh, when you look at the men's game where they can leap, they throw a lot harder. It's, you know, top of the, the differences between men and women. But I mean, people say that's one of the reasons why is they can do some pitch. They can pitch in different ways. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel strongly one way or the other about this. I. I actually don't understand why the dragging the toe is a thing now. Why can't you leap? What was the what is the thought process behind not leaving? I know it's the rule. I know it's been the rule. I know if we like things the way they are, we're going to be against this. But I honestly don't know what leaping or non-leaping gets you. Yeah. So from a, I believe from a pitching coach's perspective, uh, we could ask Coach Anderson what his thoughts are on the thing. But I know that uh, the forward motion of the body as the arm is whipping is certainly an addition to speed. And um, my concern is, and I believe the reason for the for the the topic in the in the survey is a couple of different things. One, different sanctions have some different rules. In yeah, USA softball, I think you're allowed to leap now. And um, NCAA softball, you are not. NFHS, you are not. And there is so for me, I think there are two two really important things. One. Pitchers who need to be able to pitch in different sanctions should be able to pitch under the same rules. So I believe that a, an alignment of the rules for pitching needs to happen. Now, should that alignment be everyone allows leaping? There's two components to that, in my opinion. One of them is the, the ability for them to actually generate that kind of power without having to worry about dragging a toe. And the second one, and I believe from an umpire's perspective, and I hate to say it this way, it in but I'm gonna, it, uh, it introduces judgment and people not being willing to call a rule by rule. Yeah. So if you got a, if you have a pitcher that is not 
maintaining contact with the ground with her drag foot. And, you know, yesterday she pitched four innings and didn't get called for, for an illegal pitch. And today I have a new umpire, you know, in our, in our game. And every third pitch um, she's getting called for, for not dragging her, her toe. Then that, that, that's just bad. So, uh, and unfortunately I've, I've actually heard umpires say she's not, yeah, but she's, she's not dragging her toe, but she's not replanting. Yeah. Well, that's a different rule. There's leaping and then there's replanting. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, it's not bad enough for me to call it. I don't understand touching or not, you know? Right. And then you have the problem that I think we had the other day, uh, you know, in one of our discussions where there's a crater in front of the, the pitcher's plate. Yep. And so it's impossible for her to keep her toe on the ground, but there's rules for that in case plays clarifications for that as well about, yes, it has to be level, you know, not, uh, still not allowed to, to leap up. So bottom line on that one, how do I feel about it? Um, would I favor permitting leaping? I think the answer for me is yes, if I have to answer yes or no. Okay. Third, allowing one-way electronic communication from coach to infielders. Yeah, and some discussion I've seen about this survey, there's definitely a group of people who are against this, who don't want electronics brought into the game. You know, the game at its core can be played, honestly, with a ball and a bat. You can even play it barehanded, you know, in, in a sandlot kind of situation or whatever. The more things you bring in, are we ruining the game? Are we ruining the purity of the game? I don't think that's necessarily the case here. You know, in Major League Baseball, they introduced the pitch com where the pitcher and catcher or whoever can get signals electronically. If we think about what we have today, though, so this mentions two infielders especially as well. We have delays in the game. The games take a longer time. And yes, it's still within the amount of time that they have to deliver the pitch or to be ready to bat. But just the number of times I hear, 135, and then the infielders, 135, and they all turn around and they rip the Velcro open, look at the play card, go back. It, it kind of gets you out of the flow of the game. It delays things. So I feel like this could be a help to the game and kind of a good use of technology within the game. Yeah, I've got uh, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. When coaching and umpiring, you know, softball, we say, is a fast game in comparison to, you know, baseball in any in any form, uh, whether it's youth baseball or major league. And as you can see, you know, major league baseball is now taking some great strides and trying to speed their game up. We're already supposed to be fast, and it's it's just drives me a little bit crazy when you hear a, a coach send in numbers. The pitcher's not wearing a wristband signal system, but the catcher is. So the, the coach sends in numbers to the catcher, then the catcher does the traditional, you know, between the legs, you know, finger indication of, of what the pitch is supposed to be. And it just adds to the to the whole thing. So I would be in favor of uh, one-way electronic communication from the coach to the infielders. Last but not least, uh, as you mentioned, requiring wristbands with play cards to be worn on the wrist, not allowing them on the belt. Uh, would you favor that? Uh, I think this one's an interesting one. Yes, no. Uh, I, I would have probably worded the question differently. Uh, instead of saying what the rule is today, <laughs> I would probably say what right. the rule might be changed to. So on this one, I am in favor of this. I don't have a problem with them being on the belt in theory or in purity of the game or sanctity of game levels. I don't think there's a problem with them looking down to check versus on their wrist. I don't think there's a safety concern, you know, oh, what if they slide and it gets caught or I don't, I don't know what that would be. They swing and it gets in the way. I don't, I don't see what that would be. So assuming that it wasn't some egregious dangly thing hanging from their belt, it 
that would get in the way or cause some kind of problem. If we're talking about the traditional risk card size, three by five card, smaller than a three by five card usually, I don't have a problem with this. Yep, me either. So that's it for the survey. And that'll wrap this episode of the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. All right, see you next time.